0: A little bit ago, I asked all of you inside the Anacrusic community what questions you have for me as you navigate this uncertain time of teaching and well just life in general, but also just in general whether we're talking about pandemic teaching or not. And one of the biggest questions I got was how can I get my kids more engaged? There's no doubt that teaching right now is just plain hard. Whether you are in person with masks and socially distanced, teaching virtually or doing a mix of all the things. There are new challenges and things to figure out way beyond what we are already used to as educators. And perhaps one of the biggest is to find new ways to engage with our students in meaningful ways that allows them to continue to be the center of our music classroom universe. Well, today you're listening to the Anacrusic Podcast, episode 107, and today on tap, I'm sharing three strategies for increasing student engagement. I'm and I've helped music teachers just like you get more intentional in their classrooms through my trainings, curriculum, and tips shared on this podcast. The truth is, teaching music is hard. You have a bunch of kids to teach and not a lot of free time to figure out how. Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated is totally normal. But here's the good news. It only takes a few simple steps to flip the script. And although it may be simple, it's definitely not easy unless you have the right toolkit. So let's start tuning and transforming your music teacher life right now. The actionable steps you need to find the purpose, follow a sequence, and choose joy are right here. This is the Anna Krusik Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to just take a hot minute and make sure that you've, number one, checked out the brand new Anna Krusik website website, and that you've snagged your copy of The Planning Playbook, which is my brand new guide for teaching anything and everything in the music classroom. This guide gives you a complete outline for how I teach all the concepts in my classroom, all while promoting student engagement and independent musicianship. This isn't a prescribed method or something that you can only do in a face-to-face classroom, but instead it's a flexible framework that allows you to be the best teacher musician in any scenario you might find yourself teaching music to children in to snag your free step-by-step guide complete with examples head to annacrusickcom slash the planning playbook again that's annacrusickcom slash the planning playbook or just click the link in the show notes So I have a very serious question for you. But first, let me preface it by saying teaching all the kids in the building and having so many different personalities in your music room, physically or virtually at any given time is a challenge and for many different reasons. And I know that everyone has different moods on different days and we love all of our kids despite the fact that some may challenge us more than others. But do you have that class? You know the one I'm talking about. It's the class that is just the right combination of all the kids who feed off one another and creates this magical machine of cheekiness that can be used for good or for evil. And you've had both happen in your music room. It's one of those classes that can either have you high as a kite from an awesome lesson one day or face down in Ben and Jerry's the next. They sit on your schedule with the suspense like a gumball machine of those tricky jelly beans. You know the ones I'm talking about. You can pull the lever and get your favorite very cherry or not. Well, I had this class, and it was a group of 5th graders on Tuesday, the last class of the day, which, let's be real, 5th grade should never be the last class of the day. It was an unusually small group that year where we only had 14 to 15 kids in each of our specials rotations when we were used to the 30-ish group in every other grade level. And in many cases, I would say 14 kids. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like, bring it on. But these weren't my kids. I mean, they were my kids, but it was my first year at this campus, their beloved music teacher had left, and I was nothing to them. And they let it be known with every single eye roll, every time I had something I thought was cool to show them. Yes, this class, as much as I hate to say it, was a class that I would completely dread. I would expect it to be like pulling teeth, and then on the days where the tooth fairy came to sprinkle her pixie dust and everyone was happy, it was a huge relief. But unfortunately, the latter was often more so the case in the former. So why, even in this small dream-sized group of students, did I struggle so hard? Well, I blamed it on the fifth grade attitude, which, let's be honest, is an incredibly real thing and only increases as the year treks on despite the millions of class meetings you may have. But the cause of that fifth grade attitude is that they didn't want to be treated like little kids. They wanted to be treated as if they have a voice, which they do. And quite honestly, I think this is the case for any of our students, no matter their age or attitude. It looks and admittedly sounds differently for a kindergartner to have a voice than a fifth grader, but the premise is the same. They want to have a say in their world, whether it be in school or more specifically in the music room. And how do we do that? Through engaging our students. I think oftentimes we mistake engagement for participation, and really the two are very different things. Participation generally means that your kids are following along, doing what you're asking them to do, and the class to both you and any onlookers is going along smoothly with plenty of quote-unquote engagement. But are your students active participants? Are they having an opportunity to have a voice? Are they having opportunities for choice? And at this point, you might be thinking, well, how do I do that? How do I give opportunities for choice and independent musicianship and individual voices? Well, you ask, you invite, and that's it. There's a difference between commanding or demanding that your students participate and creating a lesson and activity flow that allows the student to be both active participants and have a say for exactly how they are going to participate. These opportunities for student choice and consistent feedback not only gives your students the opportunity to up-level their participation to be truly active, but it encourages students to do so and gives you the opportunity to take a solid temperature read or assessment of your students' understanding. So here we go, here are the three tips for inviting your students to engage with you in your music lessons. Now per usual, you're going to see a lot of gray area between the three strategies that I shared today, but I think it's good to find a way to categorize these different engagement strategies, and although they all seem to point to student choice, the variation occurs from the teacher perspective. The very first strategy is to ask questions. And this is probably the most obvious of all the three strategies we'll talk about today, but as you've probably noticed, everything in my classroom is a sequence. So if you aren't used to asking for student voices at all, this is the simplest way to start. There are really two types of question asking that I like to focus on, particularly if asking questions to engage your students is a new concept for you. Questions that invite either interpretations or contributions. Now, when I say interpretation, this is as general of a term as I can think of that encompasses a lot of student responses, except for contributions an example of an interpretation would be listen to my song what question do we ask at the end of the song or what do you notice at the end of the song the easiest place to begin asking those interpretive questions is when students are in the exploratory phase of a new song game or activity and you are teaching it to them by rote asking questions that requires them to consider and interpret RL, visual kinesthetic or simply processing aspects of your lessons helps to reinforce the material that you are teaching Contribution questions differ from interpretations because we are asking students to share some sort of new material rather than interpret or decode something we are sharing with them. This is different than giving choices or directives, both of which we're going to talk about in just a minute, because students are coming up with their suggestions fairly autonomously. These are open-ended questions that invite students' participation on their own terms, which again reinforces aural, visual, or kinesthetic engagement with material that you are sharing. Examples of this would be, how can we move to the song? How can we show the steady beat? Or, what word could we use there instead? Contribution questions are trickier than interpretive questions because they in and of themselves require students to have a bit more experience facilitated or directed by the teacher before being asked to share their ideas. For example, if students haven't had an opportunity to keep the beat in a variety of ways and have really felt that in their bodies, they aren't going to be able to come up with their own ways to do so independently. Remember that anytime you're asking students to share ideas, they need to have a bank of ideas based off of experiences from which to draw on and manipulate to make something new which leads us into the next two ways to increase student engagement but first a note on asking questions (laughs) asking yes or no questions as we're going to talk about later on is usually not the best practice for your classroom because number one it allows students the opportunity to say no and it encourages passive consumption or guessing on the part of our students Also, saying things like does that make sense or are you guys ready, which I'm a huge offender of, tends to be a verbal tick in our teaching and something that you might not notice until you have that one kid or a couple who decide to say no. But regardless, asking interpretive questions and contribution questions is an incredibly important first step in giving students the opportunity to have engagement as you begin to give them more choices. So why is it so important that we're giving our students choices as a type of engagement in our music classroom? Well, when we ask our students to make a choice based off of whatever we're facilitating for them, we're not only asking them to respond to whatever directive we're giving them, whatever question we might be asking, but we're also asking for their input in the music making. So it's not a simple following direction. I mean, it is because they're making a choice, but it's you facilitating the opportunity for them to have a direct input on what's going to be happening with the music making. So there's a couple of different ways that we can go about this. The first is by using or offering, if you will, choices that you, the teacher, create. So for example, with your kindergartners, if you are practicing steady beat, it could be a simple saying, should we keep a steady beat with um, rhythm sticks today or should we just keep a steady beat with our hands? Should we play this on the drums or should we use stomping feet? Although you probably have a pretty good idea of what most kindergartners <laughs> will go for. But the idea is that it's kind of an either or choice there's no wrong answer there's only accomplishing whatever musical task you put forward to your students so are you going to be able to tell whether or not your students can keep a steady beat whether they're stomping or playing the drums for sure. It's two different skill sets, but you'll still be able to see what's happening with your students and how they're digesting that information. So they then become active participants in the music learning and they also get a choice for how they express that musicianship. Another way to offer choices to your students is just by you making observations. So say for example that you turn on some music, let's use kindergarten still as an example with steady beat, and you ask your students to keep a steady beat and they do it in a bunch of different ways because you being the amazing teacher musician that you are have set up all of these different opportunities for them to move for them to play instruments for them to do all of these different things with levels and locomotor movement and non-locomotor movement to really show you what the steady beat looks like so that now when they're given the opportunity to be set free a little bit more they have all of these wonderful ideas that they're grabbing from that bank of experience well you as a teacher facilitator can take a peek around the room and say oh my goodness Look at how Sally is keeping the steady beat. Let's copy Sally. And Sally's movement then becomes a choice for the students in the classroom. So you can give them that either or teacher decided choice. Or you can take on that observational role where you're not only taking in what your students are doing and having an opportunity to basically assess them and see where they're at, but those music making decisions are then going to impact what other students are going to be choosing as well. And last but not least, let them have a say in the flow of your lesson. Now, if you are not new to Ana land, you know that I am very specific about what my lesson flow looks like. It's flexible, but I'm also pretty specific about the different components that I need to have within my lesson to make it really sequential, purposeful, sequential, and joyful. So the thing is, is that I'm not gonna let my students completely dictate the flow of our lesson, but within each lesson segment, there are always opportunities for students to have musical choices. So for example, say that you're doing a class composition piece and your students decide that they would like to have an introduction to that piece of a drum ostinato. I don't know, I'm totally kind of just blowing this up out of my brain right now. (laughs) So if they have this drum ostinato, okay, great. Is it going to be four beats or is it going to be eight beats? Is it just going to happen the first time or is it going to happen the second time? Maybe getting a little bit more um, broad, if you will maybe you have time for a musical reward and so your students have the opportunity to decide which game they are going to play as their musical reward maybe you have another large-scale form that you're doing in your class and you have body percussion as a component you have singing as a component you have instruments as a component and they decide which permutations are going to happen when based on those three different media of active music making so the idea is that no matter how you are, you are gathering your materials inside of your lessons, no matter what the objective is, there's always going to be opportunities for students to impact the type of music making they are going to accomplish within that behavioral objective. So giving those choices gives them that power and gives them that opportunity to express their independent musicianship. So last but not least, the third strategy we're going to talk about today is giving specific directives. And two great pieces of advice I've heard from music educator mentors of mine are, first of all, don't ever ask a question that students can say no to, which is something we've kind of already talked about. And number two, the best classroom management plan is a good lesson plan. Now, we could argue semantics on both of these points for quite a great length of time because I know it just depends. But the key takeaway for both of these for me is that pacing is everything. And an important part of pacing within a lesson is the way that we invite students to move from one activity to the next. So what makes an effective directive? For me, it's three big things. Number one, it's inviting. Number two, it's time-bound. And number three, it's motivating. So let's start with the invitation. There's a big difference in telling students to do something and inviting them to do something. For example, saying go to the rug and sit down and I'll pass out the instruments once you are quiet is very different than saying you may sit on the rug and five, ch, ch, four, ch, Three, two, one, and you're done while holding rhythm sticks ready for the students to sit down quietly. The invitation piece of these two very different directives is adding you may at the beginning. I'm not saying, would you like to go sit at the rug, or how about we all go sit at the rug, but instead, it's very clear without as much opportunity to be defiant, because let's be real, there's still going to be those couple of kids, if they're not used to the way that you structure your classroom, that might challenge you a little bit, even if you just add those two sweet words, you may. Now, in the example I just shared with the countdown that I included, that's a very simple strategy to create an embedded time-bound situation or a timer into your directive. And to be quite honest, as soon as the countdown is finished, I'm moving on. I'm passing out sticks and chanting or singing the next activity we're about to do with as little teacher talk as possible. And that's where the motivation comes in my kids know that if they don't move it when it's time, they are likely going to miss their chance to snag some sticks, or simply won't be one of the first to have some, which we all know is like as coveted a status as tossing a paper airplane into the trash can on the first try. So before we wrap up this quick but specific, step, let's take a hot minute and discuss why directives and pacing is so essential to student engagement. Well, it's quite simple. If you give your students a directive that doesn't have these three elements to them, what happens? Well, they take their time, they waste time, or they're just straight up unresponsive. But by including a time-bound, motivating invitation... More likely than not, students will have major FOMO when they see their friends engaging meaningfully and excitedly in an activity, if not immediately then, once things in the activity are getting settled and they see all the things happening. And honestly, if that's not the case, it may be time to take a peek at the types of choices and different modes of active music making you're including to make sure you're allowing your students to feel musically motivated. And perhaps that's a topic for another podcast. So just a quick recap of these three strategies to increase student engagement. The first is to ask questions, and remember, we're going to ask both interpretive questions and contribution questions. The second strategy for engagement is to give choices, whether that's either or choices or some observation choices or things that just let your kids have a say in what the lesson structure looks like or musical structure looks like. And last but not least, give directives that are inviting, time-bound, and motivating. Now, I know that y'all are going to ask, well, how does all of this apply when you are teaching in person or socially distance or virtually? Well, lucky for you, an action episode is coming your way on Thursday to talk you through exactly those things. And I have just one last thing to say about that class. I wish I would have realized this. I would have realized these strategies for engagement when I had that class every Tuesday at 225 for 45 minutes once a week. But instead of telling them or showing them something really cool that we were going to do, I wish I would have found ways to include their voices to truly make it cool for them. Well, that's it for this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on increasing your student engagement. If you have any questions whatsoever, make sure to hit me up on Instagram at Anne Molesky. Send me a DM. Let me know if you're trying any of these strategies and how it's working out inside of your classroom. And also, don't forget to head to the Anacrusic website and snag your free planning playbook guide where you can use all of these strategies throughout anything and everything you're teaching inside of your music classroom. See you guys soon. Thanks for spending this little pocket of your day with me. I know music teachers are super strapped for time, so be sure to check out all the resources on anacoustic.com for today's episode. Don't forget to click subscribe wherever you're listening to today's podcast so you don't miss an episode of Tap. That way, you'll be notified each and every week when a new episode's live. And if you want even more tips and tricks delivered to your inbox, like a little love note from me to you, make sure you sign up for the Anacoustic newsletter and you'll be the first to know all the things. Also, if you are feeling today's episode, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram and Facebook. And I'd love you forever if you take a hot minute and leave a review. See you next time.